0: Hey there, folks, Alex Oaks here for Classic Camera Revival, and I would like to welcome you to our sixth season. Yes, that's right, we are on season six. I never thought this little podcast of ours would get this far, but lo and behold, here we are. So what do we have planned for you this season? Well, basically more of the same from our fifth season. We are sticking with our two episodes a month. We are going to have more guests, more interviews, We have some great topics already planned out. We are already getting into the recording studio, getting episodes made. We have some excellent guests lined up for this year. And because it is our fifth anniversary, we are going to be holding another meetup. Yes, that's right. Look for it in the spring or the summer. We are going to be doing a camera and beer crawl through toronto's fantastic craft breweries so watch out for details on that one Uh, there is one thing that i would like to address and that is the increasing number of negative comments we've been getting thankfully not much but i've noticed an increase in them so i just want to let you know that we have a new policy in place any negative comments are deleted we simply will not respond to them we are just getting rid of them Why? Because this is a film photography community, and it's supposed to be a great group of people, and really leave the negativity at home, leave the snide comments at home. If you don't got nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. But anyway, that's enough from me. We have a fantastic premiere episode lined up. We got Bill... John and guest Laurie Brooks up to talk about the fantastic Olympus OM system, a system that I myself am just getting into. I've recently purchased an OM2N and looking forward to getting that out into the uh, world and into the field a little more often. Um, they're also going to be talking about 3D printing cameras and homebrew ECN2 chemistry. So that's it for me. John, roll the intro welcome
1: to the classic camera revival coming to you from the greater toronto hamilton region of ontario canada if you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now you most likely will by the end of the episode hi it's bill smith from the classic camera revival and i want to welcome you to the 2020s and we're gonna start the season off right with a very special guest laurie brooks you may, if you're a member of the Negative Positives uh, podcast community, you're familiar with her adventures in 3D camera printing, her love of Olympus, and of course, shooting color motion picture stock and processing it at home. So, without further ado, let's get the show on the road. I'd like to introduce Lori Brooks to our, our lovely uh, podcast. And, um, Lori, give us a, a quick background of who you are. How you wound up in a sort of shooting film a lot, and where do you see your journey sort of going with it?
2: Oh, hi everyone. Um, how did I start shooting film? Actually, I came to film an Olympus via digital um but I mean, I started shooting film when I was in my twenties i I shot some film, I mostly point and shoot, then I kind of stopped for a while, kind of lost interest in it, and I missed the whole early digital. I guess revive um, uh, digital sort of happening where everything went to digital. Um, but then I got myself, uh, you know, using a cell phone for years and um, no. then um, I, I figured I'd get myself in, in. At least some kind of a digital camera. And I, I wanted something really small that I can carry around with me. So I kind of gravitated towards the Olympus um, and I got myself um, a pen, a pen EP5 actually as, as my First digital camera with a, the the kit lens, um, and then I, I found out about this um, wonderful thing called ad- adapting lenses that I could put different uh, older lenses that were a lot cheaper to buy, um, film from film cameras onto the Olympus, and then I learned about crop crop factor for Micro Four Thirds and how you know a fifty mil became a hundred mil. So I found out about a thing called a speed booster. Um, which was uh, essentially a focal reducer for a digital camera oh, that geez. gets you some of your um, your length back. So the fifty uh, mil prime, rather mm-hmm. than be a hundred mm becomes a seventy-five mil. But it also gives you another stop of light, um, so it, it becomes a, a fa- you know a, a bit faster. Mm. Uh, these things are expensive, so I thought, well, I'm not going to buy you know lots of these. Um, Speed boosters because they're just way too expensive. So I'm going to standardize on one. And I figure since I had an Olympus camera, I'd get the Olympus speed booster with the OM mount. So I thought, oh great, okay, now I need to just get some OM lenses. And I think the first camera I got was an OMG. I <laughs> I love that name. It's it's I <laughs> guess it's the um the 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 not the the professional the the semi professional the, the more consumer level Olympus mm-hmm. OM. But it had a a 1.4, a 50 mil 1.4 lens on it. So on my speed booster, it was um, turned that into a 1.0 lens, 75 mil 1.0. So it's actually Whoa. quite nice on the Olympus. Um, and but yeah, so I, I played around with that, and I really like shooting it. I still have an Olympus digital camera, but I thought, hey, you know, while I've got this film camera, let's mess around with that. Um, omg um to begin with and i did and i kind of thought oh this is nice i, I actually quite like shooting film i like the whole um getting my negatives back because earlier on I, I this was before i started developing my own film um so i you know took some uh photographs with this omg um sent it to be developed got it developed locally and uh i kind of started from there then it then i guess uh the dreaded uh uh, gas uh, affected me, and I started <laughs> acquiring lots of Olympus lenses uh, over the course of about a year. I've probably got about 30 lenses now.
1: Yeah, I noticed you got the 40 F2 pancake, which is a bit of a – it's a really rare one.
2: Yeah, I, I found that for a pretty good price. Um, but I think the most expensive lens that I bought was the eighty five two. That was the one that cost me the most money, but that's just oh, – a gorgeous lens.
1: Well, I can believe it.
2: Um, I have a lot of the twos, um, the F2s, that they're really nice lenses. I kind of just went on this site called uh, Mir, I think it's called. Oh yeah, Photography in
1: Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, For those not familiar with this uh, website, Photography in Malaysia, I have, whoever, whoever administers that site, I have them to blame for the big, massive hole in my uh, bank account. And, what triggers my gas yeah me too <laughs> it's like yeah i look at that and it's like yeah that's about 60 percent of my camera collection right there <laughs> you look at it you're like oh damn don't don't go looking at it. what do i do i go look at it so uh, again it's just sort of to give some people who are not olympus fans uh, I, we're going to talk about uh, basically the om1 and the om2 because they're the ones that most people are familiar with and Again, if you're going to get into Olympus, those are the ones you're going to stumble across in the used market. And uh, just a quick history lesson for people: the om one was uh, originally was called the M one, and it was introduced in 1972 at Photokina. However, uh, and I think the, I think officially there was about 5,000 made. Although uh, the real hardcore Olympus fanboys swear there were more that were produced before Leica got a little where lights got a little annoyed and sent a cease and desist letter saying, don't use the OM-1 ever again as your designation or really uh, bad legal things will happen to you in the German courts. So Olympus then turned around and called it the OM-1. And it was like one of those revolutionary cameras because everything else at the time was about a brick. Like if you look at like the Canon F1, uh, the Nikormat, the Nikon F, uh, the Canon uh, FTB, they all were, uh, the, even even like the SRT middle-to-SRT series and uh, the Pentax Spotmatics, they were big compared to the Olympus. The Olympus was small. And it was really, uh, the people behind it wanted to, they, they saw it as a tribute to the Leica rangefinders. And, and again, it had a, uh, the, the specs were basically bulb speed to 1,000th of a second and it had a decent ISO range from 25 to 1,600. And unfortunately, it took the dreaded 625 battery. But of course, as the old saying goes, they're workarounds. And in 74, they upgraded to add a motor drive. So how do you tell if your om one has the N one md aside from the little badge on front? You look at the bottom, there are two, two covers. And you got to make sure you keep, well, one covers for the battery, obvious. But if the other cover is to cover the gears, and if you don't have that, yeah, uh, you'll be introduced to light leaks, so you can find them online if you need to get it. And in seventy-eight, Olympus upgraded the OMMD to the OM One N, which included a better, better film advance, upgraded meter, and imp- much improved flash sync and a new fla- uh, oh God, flash shoe. Which, of course, due to uh, a quirk with Olympics, the flash shoes were detachable. So also at the same time, Olympus came out with the OM-2, and they introduced that in 1975 as an aperture priority SLR. And in some regards, I think it's a, even a more groundbreaking camera because they crammed all those electronics into the same small package as the OM-1. And again, you're looking at the competitive cameras like the Minolta XE7, the Canon EF, uh, the Pentax ES, and later the K2, and the Nicromat EL. Again, there were bricks in comparison. Like, you could really hurt people with those cameras. But it's like with the Olympus OM-2, uh, it was a, much more compact. And again, it got the same upgrade in 78 uh, with the uh, improved film transport and uh, metering. Now, the difference between the OM-2 and, and the, when the OM-2N versus its mechanical cousins, it had off-the-film plane metering which was really cool because, again, it it sort of gave you a really – you never get a bad exposure with it. And the other bonus with the OM2 series, it took two S76 batteries for Energizer 357s, so you don't have to worry about uh, battery issues. Now, of course, both these cameras were produced until the mid-1980s. The OM2 was then replaced by the OM2 Spot program, which is sort of a melding between the OM2 and the OM4 – It came with an LCD meter readout and it had spot metering and it shared the same, uh, shutter assembly as the OM4, but only went to 1,000th of a second, but it only lasted three years. And again, these cameras, uh, if you're to come across them in the wild, they kind of range anywhere between, I would probably say a hundred and what, $250 U S Lori. Yeah. But back these days, like, they are creeping up in price, and again with lenses, they are. You can get some of them for a song, like the regular ones, but again, as you pointed out, the exotic ones, like the eighty-five f twos, or the thirty-five f twos, or the forty f twos, the twenty-eight f twos, you're starting to get into like, uh, which organ shall I auction off next?
2: <laughs> I, I think from a from a film perspective they're they're expensive but maybe i i always try to rationalize it by saying well look if i bought a digital lens those things are like thousands of dollars so very so true that, that, that's, that's my that's... way of rationalizing a purchase of a 400 hundred dollar lens it's like you well know, hey you know digital lenses are two thousand dollars so this is a steal really well the way i also look at it, it's when you're
1: looking at expensive lenses be it olympus or or leica or even like some of the more exotic nikon lenses mm-hmm or Canon lenses, it's like, yeah, you kind of said it. If you look at it from a point of view of a digital shooter, and you're saying, okay, my latest EF glass, EFL glass, well, you know, those lenses are not going, they're not bargain prices, they're really high-end. And you kind of look at the 40 F2, which, you know, some people are going to say, oh, I need that. But if you got a 35 F2, which is you know, the latest, the last version, the MC, the, the MC Zoico version is, I consider, a really good mm-hmm. lens. Like, I've used mine for shooting around Toronto, and I've been very impressed with it.
2: Yeah, that that's a good lens, too. I have I have one of those as well.
1: Yeah, and I literally, it took 10 years for me to find mine. And I was one of those lightning strikes once. I was in my local camera store, which is in, uh, in Burlington, Ontario uh the one of the owners joan had one it just went into the counter and it was the probably her easiest sale that week (laughs) like literally i just told her i i want that lens and a discussion don't pass go i'll pay cash right now boom and it was mine because i've i've been looking for that for 10 years in the condition i wanted at a price that yeah, you because know, unfortunately eBay, I sort of wonder if uh, they're just a, their eyes are just a wee bit too big for their tummies, mm. their collective tummies, so to speak, with some of the sellers. Which you sort of, you know. So sorry,
3: of... you you say you have thirty of these lenses,
2: something like that. I have a lot of the primes, um, some of the zooms. I, I go from like I think my my uh, the widest I have a twenty one millimeter lens.
1: Oh, that's a nice. I'm told.
2: Uh, and then it goes up. To, it's not the fast twenty-one. It's the, the 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 slower of the two. I think they made a, a really fast one and a slower one. Um, I, I the eighteen is way beyond my price range. Um, they do an eighteen, I believe, eighteen fisheye. But then I'm not really interested in shooting fisheye stuff, so I'm not too worried about adding that to my collection. And I think I go all the way up to the three hundred uh, mill. Uh, um bazooka that's uh, <laughs> that they made but which is quite as it looks kind of ridiculous when you have that on on this, this the tiny olympus camera uh because i mean it's 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 a big lens compared to the size of the camera but it's certainly not a big lens when you compare it to other 300 mil lenses um well, out I, there.
1: oh i know and it's like even if you put something like the uh a vivitar series one telephoto on an olympus body it's kind of it's kind of weird cuz the the all the weights in the lens mm. on, the, on the camera so it takes a little bit of takes a little bit of getting. and even like it even if you're looking at a native, cause I've never seen a native Zoico like I think what is it a 60 to 200 focal length which is kind of odd um tele zoom telly, which mm. would be interesting to own I just don't know how good or bad they are compared to some of the aftermarket lenses out there
2: yeah, the I know that the the 300mm has like the, the, the tripod mount on the lens itself because of the oh, way Oh,
1: yeah. And I think I would probably look for those. So, how many OM bodies do you have, Laurie, and which one's your favorite?
2: Um, I want to say I really like shooting my OM-1, um, the original because it's just it's such a simple um cam- uncluttered camera. That's just very basic, but I like that I can just, you know, look at the little needle for my mm. For the, you know, for the uh, exposure, and at this, you know, there's nothing confused. Just you know, you can just focus on just you know, point, you know, taking your shot. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I have the so an OM one. I have an OM two um, N, um, and the OMG, which I shall never sell because I just think that's got the most amazing name, and um, the uh, an OM four uh, TI.
1: Oh, nice. I think that I had a regular OM4. It's a very powerful camera. Again, it sort of suffered from the battery drain issues that they were kind of known for. And mm-hmm. the other thing that drives me nuts with an OM4 is not as intuitive as, say, an OM2N, where you had aperture priority, which is pretty easy. You know, Everything is sort of like, sort of the readouts were analog. And for those who haven't shot Olympus, the way they kind of did it is they had an aperture meter readout and if you switch to manual, the match needle readout from the OM-1 would appear. Yep. And I really like that. Whereas with the OM-4, you're, you're, you're kind of like in sort of like a almost a, a night Rider uh, kind of meter readout with LCD, like something out of an 80s Corvette. Yeah. And you're, if you're, if with spot metering and you're metering on the fly, it's sort of you can kind of get lost
2: yeah i think i shoot my om4 just basically an aperture priority even though it's such a powerful camera i just can't be dealing with it it's just too much <laughs> you know i know and it's it's
1: sort of like I, I again i was sort of the situation where i let mine go and uh yeah yeah there's some days i kind of miss it but it's kind of like then it's like i look at the om2n's the two i have and they're just so easy to use
2: yeah, I think the beauty yeah. of this whole line is everything works with everything. It's, it's it is a system. So, you know, even all of my lenses, even that 40F2 will work on that cheapest plastic uh, OM10, um OM uh, G. G. Yeah, uh, it's it's fun. Even the motor drives, everything is plug and play between everything else. It's, it's Oh, I
1: know, it's, and that that was really inspiring with them because a lot of camera companies like a Nikon when they messed around with their lens mount in the late 70s it's sort of like yeah everything's interchangeable sort of with a couple asterisks and then you have to go into a chart in the back of the manual and you're only to find out sorry that lens will not work on this body <laughs> whereas that 51A chrome nose lens you bought on that original second year production OM1 can work on your late 1990s vintage om four Ti. Not a hassle.
2: Yeah, the uh, the motor drive everything kind of works with everything else. It's been uh, you know kind of cool just to standardize on that that system. So I've kind of standardized on the Olympus as my system. So I don't have. I mean, I have like a couple of other outlier cameras, but mm-hmm. the fact that I have Olympus and all the lenses, this is my system. So you know, I, I don't feel I need to buy like Nikon's or Canons or anything like that. I just have one Canon purely to shoot unperforated film.
1: Uh. Oh, yes. I, I think yeah, I've seen that. A couple of those blog posts on uh, ne- uh, Facebook posts on negative positives. And uh, you've also been shooting with a lot of Olympus compacts, which you have mm-hmm. probably way more experience than um, the rest of us. I've I've messed around with an Olympus Trip 35, but I haven't really picked it up recently because I've got all these Rolly 35s, well, a pair of Rolly 35s.
2: I, I- I do like the rolly 35 and I I really love the pictures that I've got out of mine. Um, it's stunning, but I I think there's something about this XA that's just the Olympus XA that it's just ready to go in a split second. You just open the clamshell Mm. and, you know, frame up and then you press the, 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 the button, the shutter buttons, almost like a capacitive touch button. It's not, really. uh, you just need to touch it ever so gently. So it cuts down on, on shutter shake. And it's, it's, um, it's a shutter per- aperture priority, or is it shutter okay. priority? You you oh, set true. the aperture. You set the aperture, and then it controls the shutter speed.
1: It's aperture priority then.
2: So yeah, it's it's you set your aperture, and then it'll 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 set the shutter speed for you based upon your your yeah. ISO. Um, and you it'll also do um backlight correction as well. There's a little oh, button nice. on the bottom that, to let you do backlight correction. And
1: uh, again, I'm. I you're you are the expert with the XA. What sort of focal length does that uh is it a fixed lens focal length?
2: Yeah, that's a the XA is a 35 f2.8.
3: Oh nice.
2: And then that would be
3: sharp as attack. It's, it, it's I, very I had sharp. one and sold it uh, regrettably, but it is sharp as attack.
2: And then they made the uh, the XA2, which is a zone focus camera which was a 35 f3.5. Um so basically yeah. that's a real kind of simple three zones yeah there's the landscape there's you know group shots and and people and close-up people mm-hmm. um and then you, it's, it's that's really simple to use with a nice sharp lens um and then i have the um the xa4 which was a 28 mm f3.5 macro lens so it'll it'll actually go up to about a less than a foot away oh, wow so that's a really cool little so between the xa and the xa4 are both fantastic cameras. And again, the XA4 is, is its own focus too. Um, you just have a few distance settings, basically.
1: Okay, so what are these cameras going for on the market these days?
2: I think I got, I paid more than I should have done for my XA. I think they go for a couple hundred bucks. Um, you can get them in different colors too. So there's an XA2 that's in red. Uh, so I, I love my red cameras, but um, I, I got mine for really cheap. I got mine for 80 bucks at a camera fair. Local Oh, camera. nice. Yeah. So I did really well on that because the red ones from Japan go for about $230 for the, for the all red. Ouch. And, and the thing with the XAs is they have these like screw on flashes because there's no flash in the camera. So it's a very okay. small camera. So if you want to use a flash, uh, you just screw one on. And there's two or three different models of flash. There's an A11, which is less, and an A16. The A16 is a bit more powerful and mm-hmm. charges up quicker
1: okay so these uh run with their own batteries yes okay and um how hard are these flashes to come by are they sold with the cameras
2: yeah usually they come with the camera um my i've been the exception to this rule because all the one cameras i have bought have not come with flashes but typically they come with flashes Uh, but the flashes are fairly cheap to buy i think my a Eleven was about twenty dollars, and the A sixteen, which is the more powerful, was like thirty-five dollars. So that wasn't too bad on its uh, on its own.
1: Um, I also really like the idea you made it. Uh, you went to England with just the XA and a couple of rolls of film. Uh, there's been a lot of sort of chatter about traveling a little more minimalist. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, minimalist is again rolling with an OM one and maybe one or two lenses, but you take it to a new level like uh, again i know a lot of people that run with multiple systems and uh you know i sort of wonder at some point hey are you, how are you looking at all around
2: <laughs> yeah i think i think that a necessity that was a necessity i think because my trip i had a very cheap flight with
1: mm-hmm. carry on
2: with carry on only Okay, that makes sense. So I thought I was going to take you know, two or three cameras with me, but I thought, look, this just isn't going to work. I have no space in my case. I'm bringing back some cameras. My dad uh, found some cameras in England for me to take back.
1: Okay.
2: So I I literally traveled really light, took one camera, uh, eight rolls of film, and that was it, and figured if I wanted to shoot anything else, there were some cameras waiting for me in England, as it turned out none of the cameras in England were working apart from one, which um, oh I did shoot on the way back, which is a little practical point and shoot camera, which I think is kind of, kind of um, cool. And it's, uh, uh, it's certainly a plastic fantastic, but it, i it, it took some fairly cool pictures. I, I took some on the way out through Heathrow.
1: <laughs> How did you find uh, getting filmed through Heathrow on the way out? Because we've been hearing horror stories Uh, Again, with the more recent uh, adaptation of uh, CT scanners for security screening, which will basically bake unexposed, unprocessed film. Uh, We'll just leave it at that. Uh, And Heathrow has always been rather notorious for um, being less than accommodating for film shooters trying to get, get their... Their, their film stocks through security. Uh, I was just wondering what your experiences were. I,
2: I didn't even bother coming out uh, flying back home. Uh, I just kind of just went with it because I, I, I figured, okay, it's it's they're fairly low ISO. They say usually the sign says if it's over a certain ISO. So I think 800, they say, you yeah. need to get it. Uh, so none of my film was over 800. I don't tend to shoot um, high ISO film. I tend to okay. shoot much lower ISO film, like crazy low ISO film.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, um, I, I, I've seen you in part of that super low ISO challenge. uh. Yeah.
2: So uh, I I actually, um, uh, on the way out, San Francisco, they let me uh, hand check the film. They actually had a a sign at San Francisco saying, hey, if you have any film, um, we can hand check that for you. So I I was able to, uh, because I actually saw the sign at San Francisco, I took advantage of it, but there's nothing at Heathrow to say, we'll do, you know, we'll do this, we'll do that. We'll check film and stuff. So I just kind of thought, eh, um, I guess it's um, my film's fairly low ISO. I think the fastest film I had was some HP five, uh, 400 ISO. So I figured that's probably not going to be affected. And it's been so far so good. Um, okay. All of all of the developing I've done so far, I've only got one role left to develop and I've developed four roles from my trip and they've all been, you know, they've all come out great um, from a, nothing was fogged from you know, at all.
1: Okay. Well, that's some good news. Um, getting back to olympus uh have you ever shot with the trip 35 at all or is that something you never got into
2: no i've never tried i've never um tried one um i always think about you know maybe i'd like to try one but i figured i have the xas now and i i think it's just uh, at some point you have to draw the line (laughs) fair enough considering you have way
1: more lenses than we i do and uh, we should just call it the, the Lori Brooks Zoico Museum.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I have them on, like, uh, IKEA spice racks. They fit perfectly in IKEA spice Oh, nice. Racks. So um, just as a pro tip there, um, if you buy these IKEA spice racks, Zoico lenses fit absolutely perfectly in them.
1: And that's the other bonus of the, the OM camera system. The lenses are actually qu- very light and oh, yeah. quite small. Uh, they're almost rangefinder in size.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. a- uh, and they all have the 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 preview, the depth of field preview. It's very consistent through all of the lenses. Everything's in the same place. Um, the, the the shutter, the, the apertures on on the on the on the lens itself. The shutter is on the actual camera body, but everything is consistent. So once you learn one lens, you're good for all of the lenses. Really, it's yeah it's quite very, very well thought out. As a
1: system. exactly and again you know, they've got different ver- versions of the Zoico glass because they've sort of they evolved with the, the uh, lens coating technology over the years because uh, I know some people love the single coated stuff from the early 70s and I know others that uh, who shoot a lot more color film prefer the multi coated uh, Zoicos from the 80s and 90s mm. so I don't know where you fall in that because I kind of play on both sides of the street so to speak
2: I, I shoot both color and and black and white. I, I I really haven't noticed too much difference between a a a a, a multi coded or single-coated.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I have a single-coated fifty one four, and I shot some Ektar through it by this past spring, and I really loved what I got out of it. And I just sort of sat there, going, "Do I really need a multi 514?" Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs>
2: no, I think I'm, if, if something like fell in my, if like if I saw an Olympus trip for like ridiculous money, like five or ten dollars, you know, something fell in my lap, I'd probably take it. But I, I, I have no, um, you know, I, I pressing need to buy one. I also I have a, a new, uh new one here that's gradually that's become made redundant by these XAs. <laughs>
1: Well, the Mio ones are almost becoming like they're the latest it camera in the compact camera craze. So yeah. I think you're smarter to stick with the XAs and maybe I don't know, like that Mule one could probably pay for an airfare to England and back. <laughs>
2: I could, I should probably, I should probably sell that because I really do not use that anymore now.
1: I, I, I'd probably, uh, yeah, I'd probably strike while the iron's hot while the trend's still going. Mm, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, so that way you've got you've got you've got airfare so, for the next trip home and back.
2: <laughs> so there is something else that I can do with my Olympus that's kind of unique. Um, What's that? I have something called an instant magni, um, which is a Kickstarter that happened about eighteen months ago. That uh, takes Instax Square film. Oh yeah. And it sends it through a couple of mirrors and a magnifying lens. And you put you basically because the, the back is removable on the OM1, and I believe the OM2 as well.
1: Yes, they're both removable.
2: In uh, fact, I think all of them are. I think no, I think the OM the cheaper ones you can't. So my OM2 no. is no no. No, it's the single
1: digit ones that are removable. Yeah. Oh.
2: So so what I can basically do is shoot Instax Square using my Olympus uh, glass and my Olympus cameras. Oh, neat. Um, the only problem with it is, is it's flipped, right to left because it's a mir- oh. there's a mirror. So that's the only unfortunate thing. Um, so text will appear back uh, backwards. Um,
3: and it's called the Instax Magni?
2: The Instant Magni 35. They did mm. a Kickstarter um, for various. I think they did it for a Leica, for a Nikon, and for Olympus. Is that um, the, na-
3: the name reminds me of something that uh, was available for Nikon F back yes. in the day. yeah. that's what Magni. it's named
2: after. Yeah, that's what it's named after. Um mm. so- so yeah, I, I backed that on the Kickstarter, and I got the Olympus version of it. Um, you you have to overexpose your light meter because you're going. Um, I think it's an f 3.5 aperture on the uh, on the the magnifier,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, magnifying lens, and also because you're going through a couple of mirrors and a, a magnifying lens, you're losing light as it gets to the the instax film so you have to kind of compensate for that but yeah it and it looks kind of weird to hold but it it gives me a way of shooting instant film with my olympus which is well
1: and how many stops do you think you have to overexpose like three stops yeah
2: i think they say three okay
1: and what's the latitude like with the instax film can you overexpose it or is it kind of like you have to be sort of
2: um you can to some degree i think um it, it it tends to blow out a little bit the Fuji okay. stuff, yeah. Um, but it, it's it's kind of cool. It basically gives me a very high end Instax camera um. huh.
1: with really nice optics. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so um, sort of moving along, I just sort of noticed uh, you've been getting in deep into three D printing, mm-hmm. and you've been working with uh, that camera dactyl design. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Um, I've been using. Uh the Humunculus camera. I I picked one up um late summer from from It's basically a medium format camera. Mm-hmm. Um that the Ethan prints uh, to order. Um that gives you a, you use a Mamiya press lens and an RB uh film back or a, graf, a speed graphic uh the two and a quarter inch smaller speed graphic backs. Um and it's basically a box between the two a conduit between the two. Oh, so wow. it lets you shoot medium format so I have um currently a 65 mil uh, press lens um Mamiya press lens and then I have a a um six six by seven uh back and a six by six speed graphic back and I'm just in the middle I've just um got a second six by seven 220 back which I've modified to take a uh, 35 mil panoramic
3: oh wow very cool
2: now, that,
1: are these plans, uh, uh, These he, again, he's custom building these himself. Are he these is plan, for this one. Is he going to make those plans available for anyone with a decent 3D printer to make their own?
2: His new project, which is on Kickstarter, um, the Branco pan, um, yeah. so, uh, is, is purely going to be um, you, bu- you, bu- you buy the, the ability to download the plans um, and print them. Um, and that's a basically, a, a, it uses the same Mamiya Press lenses, but mm-hmm. it will be a 35mm um, film uh, cam panoramic camera, like an X Pan kind of thing.
1: Oh, wow. Because the people, there's a big hole in the market because the X Pan was I, I know. years ago. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you have to kind of almost zone focus, or you use a viewfinder, so you don't have the whole. Um, uh range finder that you have on the uh, the x pan so it's not as as fully featured and you don't get obviously the the exposure and everything like that so it's it's but it will get you you know that 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 kind of double wide format um
1: so the one you bought from cameradactyl is that zone focus as well
2: um yes it is well okay. you can you can what you can do though is you can because there's several places on the camera for hot shoes you can put a uh, a range finder uh, like a I think Leica used to make them external rangefinders. You can pick them up, um, so you can sit that on a hot shoe, a hot shoe rangefinder, and use that oh, to range find as well. Oh, neat! So I have I have an old. Um, used to use them, I guess, on the old six by six folders because um, they didn't tend to have rangefinders on them. So people would make uh, hot shoe rangefinders, and you can pick them up cheap ones from Voigtlander. And I think Leica makes one that's ridiculously expensive because, you know, it's, it's, it's Leica. Leica so, yeah. yeah. Um, the um, Leica tax. Yeah. So, but Voitlander makes some that are quite reasonable. I think I found a, a, an American Ansco one, I think, on eBay for like 30 bucks um, that gives you like some kind of a, a rangefinder, Or you can just zone focus it, which is what I tend to shoot with when I've used the, the uh, homunculus.
3: So Laurie, I see that like, you, you posted well, an hour or so ago that uh, you have assembly completed a post on Facebook. That was the, Goodlo- the Goodman Lab camera?
2: That's the Goodman Lab. Yeah, that's something uh, she's doing a little bit different. She basically open-sourced that um, so that you do, you sign up and that's free and you can download the files and print them yourself um, and then, you know, modify it and as you see fit. Um, so it's kind of a a different approach but that's just that's just um uh, a medium format camera uh that you can kind of download and print uh, it, i think the broad, the body took about 14 hours to to print uh so 3d printers are not like uh paper printers they're and, very slow
1: um well, nor are they, nor they're like replicators in star trek it they uh, don't no, magically they're. appear it takes no, a, yeah. a day or two
2: it's very slow and i was panicking because it's my heating on my ground level is not working so good, and the Prusa printers do not like it if it gets too cold. They will just fail. Um, it'll, oh. the printer will the printer will just stop working because it'll 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 have what's called a a thermal uh thermal event, and it'll say no, I can't print. Um, so I was hoping, I was praying that it wasn't going to get too cold and that it would keep going and I wouldn't lose like a a print twelve hours in. But I was okay. It 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 got to the end, so I was lucky with it. Because we've had a bit of a cold snap here,
3: and to print something uh, this precise, like uh, how how high end of a three D printer do you need these days?
2: Oh no, I think you can you can get uh, that the Creality CR10 or the Ender um, will be more than uh, up to the task. If that's the thing with the three D printer is, you can kind of print parts to upgrade itself um, as well. So. Um, you can you, you can actually you know uh, there's a th- I think I think they call it RepRap where the idea behind it was you can make a printer then that printer can print another printer to basically um, so there's another it can reproduce <laughs> itself itself basically it's a, um, apart
3: a von Neumann machine
2: so you just have to buy like the you know the electronics like the hot end and the, mm-hmm. and the thermal, and but may- for the frame and everything you can print a new frame you can in theory. If you have a certain size printer, people have printed larger frames and, and upgraded the size of what they can print just by printing a larger frame and 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 you know buying a few mechanical pieces. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, that I mean I have a a, a printer called a, a Prusa, which is um, a quite a more one of the more expensive printers, but the um, it, it it's much more forgiving and it just kind of works. Whereas I think with some of the other printers, you there's a little bit more of a, a, a learning curve and a bit more tweaking that you have to do. Um, that's the only difference, really. They'll they'll both give you this, exactly the same results.
3: For a model that size that you've uh, printed, how uh, the the material that it, that it's made from, like uh, how much of an investment is that for for a camera body that size?
2: Oh, that's super cheap. Uh, so a roll of a kilo of PLA um, is about twenty five dollars on average, twenty to twenty five dollars on average, and you could probably print two or three cameras wow. with that
3: and did you have any rough edges to clean off or like i'm i am I do not know anything about 3d printing um or does it basically come out clean
2: it, it came out pretty clean actually um she does recommend you sand it all down to get rid of that shiny kind of look that pla has but i i don't mind that shiny look so i'm just going to keep it as it is and then you can always uh put like some vinyl decals on it if you want to put or put some leatherette on it or some you know if you want to spruce it up a little bit more, I've seen people do that. I've seen people that, that um, make a version where they they print it in white PLA and they they mm-hmm. obviously they they black make the inside black so that you could light type, but it's on the outside it's white, and they call it the Apollo Eleven edition.
3: <laughs> and I have one more question because I mm-hmm. got you know uh, you got me thinking because I have a unit universal press that I don't use uh, because it's the Ergonomically worst camera ever made, mm-hmm. uh, but I have but I have a couple of good lenses, so this this really tempts me. Now I guess that the bayonet mount or the breech mount would be the same kind of uh, plastic material. Do you have any concerns over its strength?
2: Uh, no, the pro. I mean, if it breaks, you just print another one for about an hour to
3: print the. True, breech that's mount. a good point.
2: Yeah, it's not a problem. Um, for I will say that Ethan's humankless camera, Ethan Moses Camera dactyl, the humankless. Has a much cleaner uh, breech mount where you can actually remove lenses very quickly because he's actually his design that you're but your your pet you're buying has a, a twisty bayonet mount. Whereas the one that the, the 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 Goodman, you actually have to screw the lens in. Uh, okay. So if you wanted to change your lens, which you can do, you can just you have to just unscrew four screws and then screw in your new lens. It's it's not as simple as just twisting the bayonet and removing the lens and putting the new one in which the 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 camera dactyl um ethan did design that with a with a proper lens mount and um and and the back as well on the homunculus is quick release whereas the one on the the goodman is it's it's kind of all screw you screw hex nuts or screwing in so it's much more industrial um
3: okay
2: a bit more industrial than than the the homunculus
3: Oh, I now have an excuse to go buy a 3D printer,
1: or at least borrow a friend's
3: 3D printer for. Oh, she she she
2: she sells them in kits ready made for under a hundred bucks. Um, where you can basically buy the all the parts printed, and you assemble it yourself with about ten screws, and you're good to go. Um,
3: I'm I'm so tempted.
1: I'm sort of wondering if this is almost the future of sort of like uh, some medium format photography, where you've got sort of orphan systems like the Mermia Press, where the bodies themselves might be kind of dead on arrival, but the lenses and the shutters are still good. You can then turn around and run with a with a 3D uh, kit like either mm-hmm. the Goodman or the Camera and you're off to the races.
2: I mean, yeah, and to, uh, something you said earlier about the cover for the motor drive, i I, it would probably take me about 20 minutes to to, to sketch something up to as a replacement cover for a motor drive. So, um, you know, it, it, you can definitely use it to make parts as well.
1: I think even if you're a repair tech, I think 3D printing has a... Because, again, the, the big problem with our, our lovely obsession is some cameras, parts are just disappearing fast. Mm-hmm. But if the mechanical drawings are available with the with the original specs on how to make them, you can get like they're getting filaments now that are probably as tough, almost as tough as steel, that you could probably print parts.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or even if you if you prototype, prototype when it's done, you can even you can then you can send it away to someone that will be able to print that in metal uh, for you yeah. if you really need a metal. But the idea is you can prototype and iterate with your printer very cheaply and, you know, don't waste your money until you're ready to print the finished part or just print from like an ABS or something like that, or a nylon. Um, and that's probably going to be strong enough. And if the part breaks, you just print another one, um, and just, you know, you're on your way again.
1: Yeah. And the plastics are recyclable. So
2: yes, PLA is recyclable. Some of the others aren't, but PLA is recyclable.
1: And it's pretty. It is reasonably durable, so it can sort of survive the harsh rigors of everyday living.
2: Uh, yeah, some it, it has a lower heat tolerance though um, than than some of the, the others. so.
1: Okay, so you don't really go wandering into the Australian desert with it this no, time of year. <laughs> no,
2: but um, if then you're you for can, reason. you can use something like PETG. I think well, it's a higher heat tolerance and you, or ABS as well. It just if you're printing in some of these other materials, you just have to you know ventilate your room a little bit. Like there, so that i mean that it's not a problem it's, it's okay. stuff that's people have
1: and again it, it, it's sort of all it's sort of almost sort of like uh the maker culture is also extending to like uh the more exotic film stocks that are out there because and again while a lot of new uh, there's a lot of new film out there like especially like the ferrania well or reintroduction of film like say ferrania p30 and The sort of expansion of Ilford Ortho ADS, uh, you've also got stuff along the lines of sort of film that's not not geared to the consumer market, i.e. motion picture stock like Kodak Vision 50D and I believe the 500 Tungsten. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is the commercial grade version of what you'd see was since still fifty and eight hundred T. But again, if I remember correctly, you've been shooting a lot of Fuji motion picture stock, haven't you?
2: I have some. I have uh, some. I have actually mostly Kodak. Um, I have okay. Uh, some Vision, uh, fifty D. Uh. uh some 250d 100t and a 500t so i just kind of acquire bulk rolls of it of it um i'm almost as bad at acquiring motion picture stock as i am with my olympus lenses i uh so
1: oh yes acquiring film uh you're uh, yeah, yeah. well've got to get the the coffees in the back of the church hall along with the name tags you just yeah, so. join the circle and introduce yourself to
2: everyone else <laughs> I, I I do like the the fact that it's relatively ch- uh, cheap to buy in bulk uh and then if you're into bulk loading and you're comfortable with bulk loading it's it's kind of a nice the only the only deal with it is is having to deal with the the, the antihalation layer and getting oh, off the the ramjet yeah that's uh, that can and be tricky
1: now you do this you do you process at home and you mm-hmm. brew up your own motion, uh chemicals which is sort of the native chemicals for processing motion picture stock because so a lot of people tend to you know, cross process in C41 and then yeah, I, you know the ramjet well. like the ramjet they kind of just sort of monkey their way through but then you're going through a lot of C41 chemicals cuz Remjet does a number on them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I still do a lot of C forty one processing, but I'll always remove the remjet as a pre bath at the beginning. So I found online uh, a recipe for a remjet remover that you you mix up and then you kind of give it a pre bath and it just falls right off. As um, as kind of you give it a first pre bath, you put the remjet remover on, which is reusable. You kind of like coat the film in that, which is kind of weird. And then you tip it out and then you put water on it. It's only when you put water on it, it reacts with what's left on surface on the film. And then you shake it like a cocktail shaker and then you tip it out and you get black water come out, which is the remjet. And then you you can wash it a couple of times and then start your C41 or even do ECN if you want to uh, natively process it. Um, You know, you have no remjet to do to deal with it. The remjet doesn't get onto your C41 or your ECN um, mm-hmm. at that
3: point. What's in that formula? I wonder, very curious.
2: Okay. It's um, borax, sodium sulfite and sodium hydroxide. Uh, and that'll mix up. A, uh, I have like the in, in, in okay. uh, so 20 grams of borax, 100 grams of sodium sulfite, and then one gram of uh, so sodium hydroxide and then, so filled to, and then distilled water.
1: So it just sort of it's like a pre-soak. You just mm-hmm. pour it into your daylight tank, and off you go.
2: Yeah, it's like just like just like you pre-warm your C41. You do mm-hmm. just a pre-soak with this uh, at, um, at the hundred and whatever two degrees, a hundred and three degrees, um, and then tip that out, and then well, you're away. It'll come out like black, and then you just at that point, that's all. You, that's ninety-five percent of the remjet gone
1: okay and the, the remaining five percent it's pretty negligible
2: yeah it's negligible it, it'll just come off as part of the process um okay I, ha- I have noticed some of the vision two stock it, it really does it, it that doesn't tend to shift it um the vision three it seems a lot better um but the vision some of the vision two stock the 50d exr 50d um mm. it, 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 i i do struggle with removing the remjet on that um and i've heard that on some forums that it's just a real annoying it's almost like industrial strength remjet on on some of those older vision two stocks um but you that, that that's like super cheap to buy that's like 30 bucks from Ultrafine for a hundred foot roll so you're getting a lot of you, it's cheap film
1: <laughs> yeah that's the that's the big that's the big draw because uh we have a mutual friend who loves shooting fuji motion picture stock and he's getting it processed through a lab uh, just outside of Toronto that swears they do a great and they do a pretty decent job mm-hmm. uh, although most labs when they find out it's motion picture film they just scream at you to get out of their shop yeah yeah <laughs> cuz they don't want to a ruin their chemical stocks and b they don't want to ruin their naritsu
2: no so yeah you can't take this that's the one downside for for shooting motion picture is you're going to have to develop it yourself or I mean, you could send it to a lab, but it's going to be very expensive to do, and they can't guarantee when they're going to do it. They'll just usually add it to the end of a run, I've heard. So you could be waiting about three weeks for it to come for it to come back to you.
1: Yeah. So there are some caveats to shooting motion picture stock, but again, you know, uh, photo warehouse is a great source for it. And I, the, does film photography podcast stores sell motion picture stock? They do. It? They yeah. do.
2: I, I bought some from there as well
1: they're kind of more of the East coast version, um, whatever works best. Uh, so yeah. Uh, any other projects you're sort of working on or, or planning to work on in the, in the coming, uh, new year?
2: Um, hopefully Ethan's Kickstarter will pass for the Branco pan and then I'll be building that printing and building my, um, that's because that's kind of my dream camera is an X-Pan. Uh, I'd love one of those cameras, but there's no way I'm spending that kind of money on a camera that's dependent on electronics. If it was a manual camera, I'd be a little bit more down yeah. with it, but not the fact that it's electronics and eventually that will fail. You end up with a you know $3,000 brick. It's just like, it's not something I want to do. So yeah. this is going to be ideal to get, to be able to, to be able to shoot panoramic um easily because the back i've made for this camera um uh the mod the modified 220 i have to use a changing back to get the film out um you're kind of one and done um with it so with the branco pan you've got the mechanism where you can rewind the film it's just basically it's the same as any other 35 mil camera
1: so oh, neat
2: so that's that's the real advantage to to this new product that he's coming out with is the fact that you can carry it all day and shoot several rolls whereas the the uh, panoramic back I've got on my camera requires you to unload the film in a dark bag.
1: Yeah, that would be inconvenient, because then you're mm. really stuck with maybe, like, what, three, four shots?
2: About ten on a roll. Oh, ten on a roll, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's probably about the same as a Lux, uh, which is probably the only other panoramic option you have out there, really.
2: Yeah, unless you want to get like a sprocket rocket with the lo-fi stuff um yeah
1: uh not my cup of tea
2: yeah i'm i'm not really i have a, a like a couple of lamography cameras i have the instax wide camera that they make but yeah some of their uh the, the sprocket rocket intrigued me but it was you know not my kind of aesthetic
1: well then they also had the bel-air as well which is mm. sort of kind of look uh, if you squint a little bit it kind of look like a, a land camera yeah uh, but it had the option of going like I think six by six plus it could do panorama.
2: Okay, yeah, I, actually I was, wanted... I, was more
1: worried, I was more worried about the durability of it.
2: Actually, one of the cameras my my dad found me it was a three fifty five LAN camera, which is working. Oh. Um, unfortunately, uh, I don't have any film for it. Um, I'm, I've got some of the SuperSense stuff that's coming from Dot um, Caps. I was I backed that Kickstarter for the, mm-hmm. the what the one one shot um, pack film replacement he's doing but i mm. think i only have maybe 12 shots of that and then i'm done with that that's so uh, that's going to be used very sparingly that camera
1: yeah that makes sense and that's the other th- interesting thing with these kickstarter projects it sounds like they're almost just doing small well, especially with uh with the instant film this are almost small runs and it's mm. just like okay we're done now and people are then kind of left out in the weeds going but I want more.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think the problem they face is they're having to cut um, some of the uh, Polaroid stuff down to size. That's uh, how they're making it. So they only have a finite amount at the moment um, until they can figure out a way to make their own paper.
1: Okay. Uh, so they're,
2: cut, they're cutting down bigger sheets to size to fulfill the Kickstarter. But they are working with people to basically make the film again. But they're having to do it from scratch because... All of those factories are gone now. Fuji shut them down. They tried; he tried to go and buy Fuji's factory, and Fuji weren't interested in in selling it to him.
1: That was really—I I remember reading about that, and I was—that was really tragic. Because the guy was ready to buy the entire intellectual property, the tooling, mm-hmm. the whole nine yards, and he was going to put cash. And Fuji said, "No, nah, we're not interested." And it was like, "What? You just sent that all to the junkyard?"
2: Yeah, it's such a shame. Because it's, it's such a, it's I've seen some pack film and, and the results you get from it, or it puts Instax to shame. It's beautiful stuff.
3: I used to use it with uh, with the Mamiya Universal Press. Mm-hmm. I
2: thought like, maybe that's another project for the new year is to try and figure out a way to use oh. my Land camera <laughs> with with um, either Instax wide or try, try and make an Instax back for it and
1: uh, design it for three D. Or design it for, th- uh, to, to make in a 3D printer because that would be very cool. You're probably not the only one with a LAN camera sitting there on the shelf gathering dust.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'll, um, I'll, I'll start. That's certainly one of my things for next year It's the the the, un- the panoramic and then the, uh, yeah, trying to figure out a way to use my LAN camera.
1: All right. Well, um, I guess this is about time now to wrap it up. So, uh, again, thank you for taking time out uh, to oh, speak with us, And, uh, Again, don't be a stranger. Um, and John, I guess it's time we should just uh, wrap this up and uh, stay tuned for our next DCR episode uh, coming up at the end of the month. Yeah,
3: Lori, thanks again. Great having you.
2: Oh, no, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
3: Have a great start to the year. <laughs>